Amen. I am just so excited to be in the house of God today. I am just so excited to be uh, in the presence of the Lord. We have been doing this wonderful series over the last, um, last many, three months almost. And we have come to the last, the sixth one of the foundations. How many of you have been blessed by this foundational series? Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we pray in Jesus' mighty name that truly you will speak to our heart today. And establish your word concerning us. We want to be transformed. We want to give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And, and, and it is equipped upon, number one, we saw it was by righteousness, repentance from dead works. Then we saw faith towards God. We saw the doctrine of baptisms. Then we saw the, the laying on of hands as godly order. Then we saw the resurrection from the dead. And today we are coming to the sixth and the final part of this series. And the Bible says, a sixth foundation that the Word of God has for every Christian is the truth about the eternal judgment. Amen. Eternal judgment. It is the future judgment that God is going to do as a king. Many people will struggle with this concept because many people who are living their self-lives here on earth Especially if you're well off, brought the king or somebody else is, who is outside our control is actually going to judge us or is going to discern our life. But the Bible is not ashamed to let us know that Jesus Christ is not a democratic leader. He is a king of glory. Can I hear an amen? He is a king of glory. And the thing about a king and his kingdom is that we have two choices. We cannot vote him out. The, we, cannot, we can disagree with him. But he gives us the freedom to choose whether we want to spend our eternity in his domain or in the enemy's domain. When we look in the Bible, this teaching on eternal judgment happens after death. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says, for it is appointed Unto man to die, how many times? Once. And after this, the judgment. Now, when you look in the scripture, it is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. We saw in the teaching on the resurrection from the dead that death is not just the destruction of the physical body. Death is the place where we cannot work for God anymore. God has given us a whole lifetime to serve him, live for him, walk with him. And once someone dies, the Bible says, from that time onwards, the time that the opportunity that you and I had to serve God, to walk with God, to live for the king, that comes to an end. And after that, the Bible says, after this life, then comes judgment. When we look at this word judgment, oftentimes it is a most unpopular and misunderstood word. Because there's no doubt that the doctrine of judgment is an extremely unpopular subject. Because, and wrongfully so. Because when we study, when we look into this teaching on, on eternal judgment, I will tell you why. As a child of God, we must be excitedly looking forward, hallelujah, to the coming judgment. I grew up in, as a young boy hearing about the coming judgment and thinking about the coming judgment. And I grew up frightened. What is going to happen? What's going to happen to my life? Am I going to get, get to heaven? Am I going to be in hell? Am I going to be, you know, thrown to the worms? I used to wonder. You don't have to wonder anymore. The word of God is extremely clear. In fact, as, we teach you to, as I teach you this morning, I want you to know there are not going to be many surprises in heaven. 
Hallelujah. The truth is that eternal judgment makes people uncomfortable. It makes comfortable, uncomfortable the people who are in charge of their own lives. Because what happens is that with the fact that someone else is going to judge them. But the message of grace rather is very well accepted by everybody. Why? Because they, in that message, they believe that it is one of a God who will take them and give these people the best of heaven, even if in their heart they're rebellious and do not want to live for the king. The message of a hyper grace teaching is that God is, loves you me so much that God is so, such a loving God that he cannot destroy you. He cannot send you to hell or he cannot judge you. He's such a good God. He is a, a, such a good God. He wants to give you only good things, even if you're rebellious. You can live for the devil, but he is going to give you heaven. That is why this message suddenly seems to be very pleasing to man. It's also true that whenever the subject uh, is being taught on eternal judgment, it is bound to bring misunderstanding and people who hear this teaching often can misconstrue, misunderstand, and misinterpret the Word of God. As is going to be illustrated by this illustration. It is a conversation between an old farmer from the countryside and a new pastor. All right? So this new pastor is trying to use Christian lingo and is trying to speak to this countryside farmer. So he asks the farmer, do you belong to a Christian family? Asked the minister. And the farmer said, no, they live two farms down the road. So the pastor said, no, no, I mean, are you lost? And the farmer said, no, I've been living around this area for the last 30 years. I know my way around. Then the pastor said, no, no, I mean, are you ready for judgment day? So the farmer asked, when is it? So the pastor said, could be today, could be tomorrow. And the farmer says, my wife might be interested in attending both days. <laughs> now, no matter however you present the truth of God's word, there are going to be people who are going to look at it through their lenses, through their shades. When you look at something through a shade, everything will look shaded to you. So when you come to God's word, unless you have accepted that Jesus Christ is not coming as a savior again. He already came as a savior. Now he's coming as a judge. He's coming as a king. The Bible says all over the Bible, you see, the Bible saying that Jesus is coming again. And this time he's not coming to agree with your theology and my theology, your doctrine or my doctrine, or everybody else's doctrine. He is coming to judge the quick and the dead. That's what the Bible says. He's coming for that. And we saw the dead are not going to be dead. The dead are just rested from their work. The Bible says if you, if you miss that teaching, pick up these teachings that are, on, that are there on our channel. Listen to these teachings on the resurrection from the dead. Even if you die, you don't die. The truth is you can never die. The the, but if you die, you've just ceased from your opportunity to live for the king or to serve God. Because you and I are eternal beings. We can never die. So when we look at this word judge, the word judge comes from the Greek word krinos. It means to discern or to separate between two things or to, to, to look at something 
and discern, to estimate, to assume a, 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 an understanding between, to call to account, to judge judiciously, to bring to trial, to bring brought to account. Somebody has to give an account to you or to administrate over a particular affair. Therefore, the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, 10, and 11, the Bible says, therefore, we make it our ambition. We make it our what? Ambition or our aim, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to God. Now, there's a whole group of Christians who will teach you that we are already pleased God. And it is true. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And they would have written books on it. They would have written sermons on it. They would have sold their DVDs on it. And they would have become very popular. And they would have built a large number of following and have large churches. And naturally, they'll have the internet space because they have the resources to get out there. And their teaching will get out there. The Bible says in the last days, a lot of teaching will go all around. And the problem is not everything that you hear is gospel truth. Why? Because they teach you and they, they major on one portion of scripture. But a good student of God's word studies the word of God from cover to cover. What does the Bible say? It is our ambition that we must be found pleasing to him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of God, that each one must receive things done in the body according to what is done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust we are known to your conscience. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, knowing that a day like this is coming, we are persuading people, please, please, please choose to follow God. Please walk away from your own worldly ideologies. Please repent. Please turn back to God. And we are persuading all people, the Bible says, Paul says. When you listen to Paul's preaching, it did not matter before if he stood before a king or he stood before a wild offender, before a pauper or a prince, his message was the same. What was the content of Paul's message? Acts 24 and verse 25. The Bible says he stood before King Felix, uh, uh, you know, the governor Felix. But as he was discussing with Felix, and also he spoke with the King Agrippa, as he was discussing righteousness, and he was discussing self-control and judgment to come. Righteousness. You know, when you talk to a king or you talk to a popular leader, you talk to a minister of government, you talk to a big person in, in great responsibility, everybody wants to be their polite best. You want to say, you know what, most uh, wonderful highness so-and-so, you know, I just want you to know you're a good man. Jesus loves you. Now, that's what we want to do. But Paul wasn't so. For Paul, the truth about the eternal judgment was very real. When he looked at Felix, all he knew was Felix was a frightened man behind a governmental office. He looked at Felix and said, Felix, I want to tell you three things. He said, number one, I want to tell you that you need to be right with God. Be right with God. Get right with God. Don't continue in your own wisdom. Because your own wisdom says, all roads lead to Rome. God's wisdom says, broad is the way. And many of them that are going to destruction. Narrow is the way. And few are they that are going to eternal salvation. That is God's wisdom. Now, when he, and he said the three things. He said, number one, righteousness. Get right with God. The second thing about his message was self-control. Which means, Felix, I know you're a governor. I know you can do what you want. 
But I want to encourage you, live a self-controlled life. Don't live as you feel. In fact, many of us spend our life trying to control everyone else. Husbands trying to control wives. Wives trying to control husbands. Husband and wives trying to control their children. Children trying to control their parents. Everywhere, everyone is trying to control everybody. Governments trying to control their people. People trying to control their government. Everywhere, people are looking to be in control. But the only legitimate place in the Bible where the Bible sanctions control is in the word self-control. Amen. That's why the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Get a grip of your life. Get a grip of yourself. Get a grip of how you're living and what you're living. Why? Because the Bible says that every one of us, Romans chapter 14, verse 12, Verse 10 to 12, in fact. Verse 10, Romans 14, verse 10. The Bible, it says like this. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before thee. Which means don't worry about judging your brother. Because your brother is going to have to stand before the judgment seat. Whether you like it or not, whether your brother believes it or not, the Bible says. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Look at verse 11. As I live, the Lord says, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall pray, give praise to God. But look at verse 12. So then, read that together with me if you can. So then, each one of us will give an account of ourselves to... Listen, you know what? If you're in a public office, do you realize that the public can call you to give account for the office you hold? If the public can call you to give account for the office you hold on their behalf, how much more will the king of glory call you and me to give account? Now, some people say, but it's my life. Oh, no, it's not. Why? Because you didn't plan it. You didn't plan when you will start. You didn't plan. You can't plan when you will finish. Neither did you plan the color of your skin, the race you'll be born to, the part of the world you'll come. You planned none of this. You couldn't plan your beginning. You cannot plan your ending. All you can do is in the season that God has given you, you can plan to walk with God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So each one of us will what? Give an account. When Paul was talking about this, again, the Bible says 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Wherefore we labor, we work, whether present or absent, we may be accepted by him. For we must all appear to before the judgment seat of God, that every one of us may receive things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it is good or bad. Many times people struggle with this whole concept. You know, it is true that God loves people, but God hates sin. God has, God even hates anything, any sin that is done in, in, in an attempt to do something for God when it is not the will of God. You know, we try to do things to please him to be found pleasing with him. But it's not God's will. We sometimes try to serve him in ways thinking that if I do this, God will be happy with me. But the Bible says anything other than the will of God. Why? We must again and again confront the Bible is talking about a king. I've lived in nations, or traveled in nations, and I've, I was born in a nation where a king ruled. And in a nation where the king ruled, the king's word is final. In fact, the king's pardon is also final. The king's decisions are final. If you've lived in a kingdom, you will understand what the Bible is talking about. So when the Bible says, C.S. Lewis once said like this, he said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely 
those who thought the most of the coming world. And he says that it is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the world to come, they have become the least effective in this world. By which the effectiveness of trying to depopulate the kingdom of the devil and to populate the kingdom of heaven, to pull people out of darkness and to bring them into God's marvelous light. Only if you're thinking of eternity will you have reason to live for that kingdom here on earth. Hallelujah. So this is what C.S. Lewis said. You see, why should we tell others about the coming judgment? Now, how, how can we talk about a coming judgment when it's so unpopular? But Paul did not shy from talking about that coming judgment. He understood. He knew that this judgment was there. Why should we talk about this coming judgment? Because it is a foundational elementary principle of scripture. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. That you and I, every one of us, it doesn't matter what your family name is. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter what post you've held on earth. The Bible says you will stand before God and God will ask you and me to give account. Now, for many people, this is a frightening thing. Like I was used to be frightened. Not anymore. Why? Because the Bible very clearly explains some things to us. And I'll come to that. Our, why should we preach the gospel? Because our eternity is based on it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, which means there is no review petition. There is no opportunity to get there and realize. There is no option, the Bible says. This is why we should preach the gospel. Why should we preach the gospel? Because, or why should we talk about the coming judgment? Because I know that if I know how the judgment is going to take place, I will know how I need to live here on earth. Yeah, if I know how the rewards are going to be, I will know exactly how to play this game, amen. Because now, now I, I just, there are so many times, you know, if you know your enemy strategy, I, I've been a sportsman when I was much younger, and uh, one of the things we learn before when we play a game is to know the enemy's game. And if you know the enemy's game, you know how to play your game. Because you know what are the weaknesses of the enemy. This is why the Bible says, do not be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. I want to talk about this coming judgment because it tells me that it is not God, but I who decide where I'm going to spend eternity, in heaven or hell. A lot of people have this whole question about heaven or hell. Can such a loving God send us to hell? I want to talk about this coming judgment because you and I, who are, we are accountable to God, and we are accountable as stewards of this kingdom to tell others that there is a coming judgment. I want to talk about this coming judgment because for some people, some people, some few in men, they would say, I want to live however I want and then go to heaven and have the best of heaven. But the Bible says there's a coming judgment. Why should I share the coming judgment? Because there is no opportunity to review it. Why should I talk about the coming judgment? Because today, some of the most popular pastors on the planet are like wolves in sheep's clothes. Some of them, not all, but some of them, because they have a fan following. The Bible says that they're wolves in sheep's clothes and they're teaching that there is no such thing. I recently, when I was doing a study on this, myself and my wife, and we, we just picked up the, you know, got on YouTube, and I did a search 
for looking for this topic on teaching on the eternal coming eternal judgment i just wanted to see who are the preachers who are talking about it and you know what i found out i found out that if there were among the most 10 most popular preachers that you know today in our christendom names were the ones with the largest internet gathering following the ones with the largest church gatherings you look at the ones with the great they got strategies they got human resource planning they got technology put in you they got all of that but you know what i found to my shock i found not one of them not one of them that i searched for spoke a message about a coming judgment yet paul spoke about it You know what it does to my heart when I realize the most popular, the largest churches, many of these people, when not one of them wants to put a message out that there is a coming judgment. You know what that, it puts the fear of God on my heart. Because why? The Bible says their shepherds have led them astray. So simply because we're popular or large, it doesn't mean God will keep the judgment away. What is judgment? judgment is god is going to discern this is why you must speak about the judgment who will be judged everybody will be judged believer unbeliever half believer quarter believer uh, non believer you know everybody the bible says will be judged why the word judge means god is going to listen to your account come 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 dear dear tell me your account tell me tell me you had this wonderful opportunity here on earth tell me what you did Do you think it is wrong for a king to ask us to give account? Amen. If you were the boss of a company, would you ask your staff for account? Come on. Yeah. If you would, why would it be wrong for God to ask you and me for account for the talents he gave us? Why would it be wrong for God to ask us account for the life he gave us? We didn't begin this life. We shouldn't end it. Why? Because this life is our best shot at eternity. and we must give an account the bible says now some people think you know some preachers get a kick out of talking about this coming judgment turn or burn <laughs> now i don't get no kick out of that i'm not asking you turn or burn i'm asking you that jesus is calling out and saying people come to an eternity with the father you know judgment is going to be literally forever and ever and ever and ever and and ever and ever and ever it's not, it's going to be for eternity you know what that tells me if you could just snap your finger i heard john bevere share this one day like this snap your finger 1 2 3 go you know that's like the zero time we're living here on earth 70 or 80 years compared to eternity how short is 80 years compared to eternity And the Bible is saying the choices you make in zero time. That's why the Bible says this light and momentary suffering. I know it's hard, but it's what light and. That's why the Bible says hang in there. Is nothing compared to the glory. God wants to fill you with glory. He wants to fill your life and my life with glory. So how is this judgment going to happen? Firstly, you need to understand the Bible says. the people who reject god the unbelievers who reject god they are going to be asked for account mm, okay hi you see by the way god's not going to stand there and say you unbelieving wicked guys are to get out of my no no he's going to say come 
hey, uh, tell me what you did with your life. Oh, you didn't believe in me. Oh, okay. Uh, so what decision do you... You see, many people, many people think God is this, God is this terrible, terrible fellow. You know what the Bible says? God is love. Now, some people say, how can such a loving God send anyone to hell? I want you to know God's not sending anyone to hell. Oh, really? So what is God doing? God's just asking you what decision you took. The Bible says, broad is the way and many are them that go to destruction. But narrow is the way and few are those that are going to life. What is the Bible? Jesus went and stood in that way and he said, don't go. I am going to die in your place on the cross. If you will accept me, you don't have to go to hell. What is the thing this God has done for you? He has just stood in your highway to hell. And people are asking, how can such a loving God go to hell, send you to hell? God's not sending you to hell. What did God say? Listen, you will never understand this unless you understand the kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. You see, Satan and his host, hell was never created for man. Hell was created according to the Bible. Was It is a reality which was prepared for Satan and his angels according to Matthew's gospel, chapter 25 and verse 41. That hell was actually prepared for Satan. Was prepared for? Was prepared for? Jesus never prepared hell for man. He never, ever, ever did that. But then what do you mean? People are going. You see, you need to understand. The Bible says, broad is the way and many are going on it. Which means, what did Jesus do? Jesus prepared hell for the enemy king and his host of angels. And he knew that we rebelled and went after the devil through Adam and Eve. And knowing that all mankind was doomed to destruction, he sent his son Jesus to die in your place and my place. That is love. That's not judgment. That is love. But when love is there, love has two aspects. What are the two aspects of love? Love is merciful. But love is also just. Love is? Can someone be loving and unjust? Come on. Come on. So if God is love and he, he has to be just, which means he has to justly judge. So the reason God has to discern our decision is because he's love. He cannot deny himself. Now, God is not the one who's going to send you to heaven and hell. What is God doing? The Bible says he created the hell for Satan and his host of angels. And the Bible says, he's saying, if you will follow the king, come back to the kingdom. He says, I'm keeping heaven for you. But then how is it that people are going to hell? The ones that reject Jesus as king. The Bible says, if you don't want to walk with the king in the kingdom, the Bible says, you and I are making a choice to go to an eternity with the kingdom of darkness. God is not sending anyone to eternity outside him. It is us who are making that choice. This is why Jesus said, choose today whom you will follow, who I will follow. What is, you know, the Bible actually gives us a glimpse of hates. In Luke's Gospel 16, you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? You remember that? Lazarus was a 
a beggar, he was a poor man, the dogs were licking his uh, you know, wounds, he was outside the rich man's house and he was waiting for crumbs to fall off from the rich man's house. The rich man died, the Bible says, and he, you know, the, and the poor man also died. And when the poor man dies, the Bible says, you know, the, this story is not a parable. In fact, Jesus just shares this story. He says, the poor man died and the angels came and took him away. And the rich man also dies, the Bible says. And then the Bible gives us a glimpse of Hades, of the netherworld. That in Hades, that there were two, two parts. One, the people that walked with God. And the other, the people that refused or rejected God. And the Bible says that Abraham in his bosom was the rich man and he was in, in, a, in a pleasant place. And the rich man was, the Bible says, the rich man says, it is a glimpse, glimpse we get. He says, I am being tormented. I'm being tormented. I'm being tormented. And now I want you to know, listen, God is not tormenting them. But then what is it? They chose to go to the place which was reserved for Satan. And they say, God does not want anybody to perish. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, through us, he's pleading. He's pleading with you. Please turn to God. Please accept the cross. Please walk with God. Can you imagine a king who pleads with you? And yet, those who don't know him, Represent him as an angry God. Indeed, he is a consuming fire. Why he's a king? What is that fire? That's a fire of his righteousness. Yet we can choose to walk away. Hell is a, the Bible says he was in torment. He asked, Abraham, can you send Lazarus? And can you just get him to dip his finger in the water? One drop on my tongue, it's so hot. It, it is so, it's, it's so hot here. And Abraham says, you know, the Bible says that the rich man looked up to where Abraham was, which means there is a up and down. Then the Bible says, Abraham says, there is a gap between us. We cannot send anybody there. You know what's the terrible thing about this? Is that those in Hades, here this side, can speak with the ones on that side. Secondly, those that are in Hades, they don't sleep. They're awake and being tormented because of the choice they made. Day and night, day and night, forever and ever and ever and ever. That's, do you know what that tells me? That tells me Abraham was crying out. And it also says, how do we know that's hates? He tells Abraham, Abraham, can you send Lazarus? My brothers are still alive. Which means the eternal judgment hadn't happened. He's saying, my brothers are still alive. Before they die, can you please send Lazarus to them? Tell them. Tell them this is a terrible place. So when we look at hell or look at Hades, the place that is reserved even for these ungodly people who are rebelling against God, we see a few things. Firstly, that Hades or hell, both of them, there are two words. Hades is Hades. Hell is Gehenna. Hades is the place of the dead. Those who are rebelled are in one place. Those who are walked with God in another place awaiting the great white throne judgment. But hell is the lake of fire. But both in hell and in Hades, where the ungodly are, there is torment. What does the Bible say? That is a place of extreme suffering. Hello, guys. If you think earth is a hellhole, wait till you get to hell. You ain't seen anything yet. The Bible says hell is a place of extreme suffering. It's a terrible place and the devil and the deceived ones are sent there, separated from God. Another thing about hell, 
is that in hell you remember everything. The Bible says the rich man remembered Lazarus. He remembered his brothers. He's remembering his, his child. He's remembering everything. Hell is not a place where you are in limbo, in deep freeze, in what is that, nitro freeze or something like that where you're kept for intergalactic travel. No, that's not hell. That also may be hell, I don't know. But, but, but that's, not, that's not all of hell. The Bible says it's a place of extreme suffering. It's a place of memory and remorse. The rich man in hell, he was crying out and saying, I wish I lived my life differently. I wish I had, I wish, I wish I had another chance. I wish I could make different choices. I wish I didn't be so proud. I wish I wasn't excited about my money. I wish I could live another life. It is a place of remorse. The Bible says hell is a place of unsatisfied desire. Can I have a drop of, a drop of water? One drop, one drop. The Bible calls it the furnace of fire. The lake of fire. He's saying one drop of water. There will be desire after desire after desire after desire. Unsatisfied. There are many of us that have had desires on earth that are not satisfied. You wish you had that nice, beautiful looking car. Or you wish you had that mansion in the Caribbean. Or you wish you had this or that. And it's not satisfied and it's eating into you. I want you to know hell is a place of eternal, unsatisfied desire. Hell is also a place of contempt. The Bible says that there is, there is some to, ever, uh, to shame and everlasting contempt. It's a place of contempt. And it is a place of wicked companions. That everyone there are people that chose rebellion and wickedness. Can you imagine if this world is rebellious and terrible? Can you imagine a place full of this alone? Hell is a terrible place to go to. I don't understand. How can people think the only reason for them to say, I don't mind going to hell is because they haven't allowed heaven into their heart. If you have ever once allowed heaven into your heart, you will never want to go to hell. Hell is a place of hopelessness. Forever and ever, there's no hope. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. There's no escape. It's forever that God, uh, it's everlasting life in heaven and everlasting punishment in hell. In fact, Jesus is the one who told us the most things about heaven and hell. Jesus preached on hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus spoke about it. He said they shall be in danger of hellfire. He said, don't be afraid of the ones that can kill your body here. Rather, fear the one that can send you and your body and soul to hell. The Bible says in the last days, God is going to separate the weed from the, and the weed are going to be burnt away in, in hellfire. It'll be in the last days, there shall be gnashing of teeth in hell. And you know, the Bible talks about hell. In fact, the Bible says it's a Broadway. It's a Broadway. You know what the Bible says? It says most people on the planet, listen to me, are not being sent to hell. Most people on the planet are choosing to reject the king and to go to hell. But a child of God is not rejecting the king. He's accepting the king. And he's saying, we want to go on this narrow way. It's a difficult path. The Bible talks about two ways. The broad way and the narrow way. The Bible talks about two kinds of people. The foolish man and the wise man. The foolish one built his house upon the rock. The wise man. And the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the waters came and took it away. The Bible talks about two trees. The good tree and the bad tree. The Bible talks about two destinations. 
heaven and hell. Unfortunately today, because of what man wants to hear, there's a censorship of the gospel. William Booth, how many of you heard of William Booth? He was the founder of the Salvation Army. Amazing man of God of those years. He said like this. He warned over a hundred years ago that a time would come when there would be those who would preach religion without the Holy Spirit. Salvation without regeneration or transformation, which means just accept Christ and ready for takeoff. Salvation without receiving, wanting to live like the king. Christ would be preached without the cross. He said there will be forgiveness offered without repentance. He said there will be Christianity without Christ. He said there will be policies without God. And he said there will also be the message of heaven without hell. And today, as we live in this time and age, it has all come to pass. Every one of these kind of doctrines. This is why the Bible is saying rescue those that are perishing. There is a judgment of the unbeliever. The Bible says the unbelievers who reject God, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, like they rejected God. First Peter talks about it. Like they rejected God in the same way. The, uh, that is, as it was destroyed, God is going to destroy also the ungodly who choose to go after the devil. So there is a judgment of the unbeliever. Secondly, there's a judgment of the believer. What is that? First Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. Which means every believer, everyone who received Jesus is also going to be judged. Matthew 7.21, Bible says, not 21.22, Not all who say, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the Bible says, so they will say, Lord, did we not heal in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? I'm prophet so and so. The Lord will say, away from me, you workers of iniquity. Which means, yes, you, are, you did receive Jesus, but you chose to live for the devil. Now, this is where you must understand very clearly. What are the, the believers going to be judged about? They're going to be judged about their Deeds they did after they came to the kingdom. Everybody say deeds. Listen to me very, very carefully. Now, you might ask, wait a minute. Is that what Christianity talks about? That we're going to be judged by our deeds? But what about salvation? What about the promise? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Indeed. It is true. Without believing in the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, there is no other name, no other in heaven or earth by which a man shall be saved except the name of Jesus. Now what happens to a believer? He's saying we are saved from our mutiny or rebellion. Now once we are saved from our mutiny or rebellion, we are invited into God's kingdom. And now that we come into God's kingdom, God is saying, now that you have been saved by the blood, a price is paid for you. I paid a price for you. You, you know, you're so precious. He bought you with his blood. You think you're valueless. You are valuable to the kingdom of heaven. He says he brought you, bought you with his blood. God is not going to save us on the basis of our righteous works. Our salvation is only by God's grace. So how can it be that we can be saved by grace through faith not, and yet not by deeds? And yet judged according to our deeds. Now this is the interesting part. We are saved by grace, but the believer is going to give account for his deeds. How many of you remember Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3? 
the message to the seven churches. Do you remember the message to the seven churches? How many of you remember Jesus asking each church? What does he say? Does he say, I know that you accepted me as Lord and Savior? Does he say that? No, what does he say? I know your deeds. Is he talking to believers or unbelievers? Is the message to the seven churches to believers? Are you sure? It says, I know your deeds, which means why does God, he's saying after you have accepted him and you've come to Christ, he's saying now I want you to serve the king. That is why every child of God must be careful to be transformed in his deeds, in his life, that he walks with God, that he lives for God. Now some people say, wait a minute, you mean if I make a mistake, will I go to hell? No, you will not go to hell. Then who is it? That the Bible says, can a believer go to hell? My answer is yes. Now, which believers does the Bible say will go to hell? Listen carefully. The Bible says the rebellious. Who is it? The rebellious. Which means we accepted Jesus. We've come to the Lord. But now we are saying, wait a minute. I don't want to follow this God. I, I accepted him. I'm going to heaven. I want to go to heaven, but I want to live how I want. I don't want to follow the Bible. Uh, I know that's a good advice you're giving me, but hey, sorry, it's my life. It's my life. You know, uh, I just want to. And the Bible says, if you walk in rebellion, the Bible says, if this is, listen to this. Just watch what I'm going to do. This is heaven, okay? If this is heaven and this is hell. And before heaven and hell, there is Hades, the place of the dead, where we are waiting the great white throne judgment. In Hades, there are two parts, where the rebellious are and where the righteous are. Now, people, while we're living here on earth, we have accepted Jesus Christ. The Lord says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, come on now, for good works. And Revelation 1, 2, and 3 says, Yo, I know your deeds. You have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. I know your deeds. Oh, you are you're standing strong for the truth. You judge the apostles. You do all of that. But among you, you are tolerating the Jezebel. You see, the Bible spoke about the believers. One part of my heart wants to obey God and the other part wants to live however I want. And the Bible says that the people who rejected God are going to go to a Christless eternity the people who repented and accepted Jesus are going to go to heaven with God. But the people who said the sinner's prayer accepted Jesus and said, now let me live how I like. The Bible says, God is going to ask us for an account for our deeds. Now this is why the Bible says, now I want you to listen. This is really, 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 really important. The Bible says, you remember that there are weeds and tares? You remember that? And the Bible says, he says, I am going to pluck out the weeds from the kingdom. Mm. Is someone listening to me? Where is he going to pluck the weeds out from? From where? From where? He's going to pluck them out from the kingdom and apportion them with the unbelievers. You know what that means? He's saying those who came to the kingdom because they wanted to go to heaven and still loved the deeds of darkness and they want to live like we're dancing with the devil. The Bible is saying that based on their decision, whose decision? Whose decision? Their decision. Jesus is going to ask, excuse me, could you just kindly give me what you decided? 
and he's going to look at the account. And he said, oh, oh my God, oh, oh no, no. Angels, this is his decision. Many people say God is love. But love is just. Do you know God is also righteous? God is so loving that he's standing in your way. The Bible says that God is so loving, he's standing in your way. There was a famous preacher from England. He was a cricketer. He, he was a missionary to China years later. He sold everything he had in England and went off as a missionary to China. And he says like this, you know, in olden churches, they have this bell gonging on top. Yeah, they ring the bell. This, this cricketer said a saying. He said like this. He said, he said, he said, many, many people want to build their house at the sounding distance from the chapel bell. He says, but I want to set up a missionary outpost one yard outside hell. Amen. He says, one life I have, you got to get across me before you get to hell. Hallelujah. This is the passion of the people of the kingdom. Jesus has standing in the way of sinners. We must, like Jesus, stand in the way of sinners. We must plead with them, please receive Christ. Please accept him. Please walk with him. Please love God. The issue is not really whether we are saved by grace or works. The issue is judgment day is going to say, all your works are going to be tested by fire. 1 Corinthians 3. That which is done for the Lord will last. Now, is that a frightening thing? No, it's not. I don't know what frightens you and me about that. The Bible is so simple. In fact, it's an exciting thing. What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that God wants to, God wants to reward you and me. Everybody say reward. He wants to reward us. You see, God is not a God who's waiting to throw us in hell. He's a God who's waiting to reward you. But if you're making a choice to go to hell, he's still standing in the way. And some of us pastors that dare to preach this message care enough to. While the others build their empires and say, it's okay, everything is fine, everything is going go okay. The shepherds dare to speak the truth in love, knowing that the fan following may come down. The Bible says, Jesus says that those in Luke 12, 45, 46, look at this verse. I need you to see this verse. Luke 12, 45, 46. I need you to see this verse. It's so, it is so, so important. It says... It's a, it talks, but if that slave says in his heart, um, are we reading Luke 12, 45? Let me see if I got the scripture. Mm, next verse, cut him into pieces and apportion him with the unbelievers. The next verse, 46, yeah. The master of that slave, read that together please. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not and will what? Cut him in pieces and assign him a place among the... Wait a minute. Who is he going to do this to? And by the way, this is a parable. All right? He's, who is he going to do this to? To the servants. Servant is serving whom? The master. And the Bible is saying that the servant that was unfaithful, the Bible is saying he's going to be cut into pieces and apportioned a place with, where is that going to be? Where are the unbelievers going to be? Now, the Bible says that if we have known God, Hebrews, 
chapter 12 talks about it. We've already known God and tasted of his goodness. And we have been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. And we still willfully sin, willfully rebellious, willfully rebellious. I will do what I want. I will live how I want. I'll just accept Jesus as my Savior. Mm. The Bible says, if anyone who does that, the Bible says their portion is with the unbelievers. That's the lake of fire. That's the reality. Why is this message so important? Because this will equip us how we want to do the rest of our years. Why we want to live. The Jews are going to be judged. The Gentiles are going to be judged. Every one of us are going to give an account for the life that we have lived. And we're going to have a reward in heaven. The Bible says there's going to be a reward that we will have a crown. We will be with God and we will be given responsibilities to serve the king forever. And ever, 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 and ever. If so, this light and momentary suffering is nothing compared to the glory. Glory. God's going to judge without partiality. So if I were to summarize this judgment... If I were to summarize what this judgment's about, I would say, firstly, that all people without exception will pass through the final judgment of God. The wicked and the righteous, everyone will have to give account. That includes you and me. The judgment will be of the attitudes and the action of their faith, the genuineness or the absence of faith in Christ. Thirdly, the fork in the road leads either to eternal life or to eternal wrath and fury. Fourthly, it is you and I who are deciding what's going to happen on judgment day. Fifthly, God will righteously judge. You know, some people think God's not fair. I don't understand how a right God can be unfair. Is God righteous? You know, the decision that we think, in our thought, we think God's not righteous is based on the fact that we are totally righteous. From our position of unrighteous thinking, moral corruption, worldly ideologies, mixed bag of thinking, rationally rational, we're standing looking at God and saying, hmm, how can he send them to hell? Based on the fears of factors that we feel we can't control. And I want you to know, God wants no one to perish, but everybody to be with him in heaven. God wants you and me. So then the question arises. So we are deciding the judgment. Now, so some people say, wait a minute, but then I'm afraid. Guys, you have no need to be afraid. Then what? You have confidence before God. Hallelujah. The Bible says, what if, what if you sin? What if I sin? What's going to happen? If we sin, are we going to go to hell? No. What does the Bible say? If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ. He will stand there and say, God, I know. I know he messed up there. But you know what? His heart, he wanted to follow me. He lived his life trying to obey me. I am an advocate. Jesus is going to advocate on your behalf. Hallelujah. You know, I want you to know something. Jesus never lost a case. Amen. If he is your advocate, we have confidence. Shout it after me, confidence. 
Look at somebody and say, I am confident. Amen. No child of God should ever fear eternal judgment. If you have repented from your sin, you're making a choice to walk with God. The Bible says you and I have confidence. And who is the one who doesn't have confidence? There's only one group of people that will not have confidence. The rebellious. The rebellious in the kingdom. They're saying, I know he's king, but whatever. It's my life. I'll do what I want. I'll live how I want. I'll marry whom I want. I'll just go after whatever I want. And after the everything, I believe Jesus has got a crown for me in heaven. Now I want you to know we have confidence. Fifthly, God will righteously judge what you did as he is righteous. No one will find fault with him. Sixthly, he will reward the righteous acts of faith and entrust with responsibilities in his kingdom. Seventhly, he will send the unrighteous and disobedient to eternity in damnation. If this is our end, then how should we live? We should walk in love. Walk in the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk with the mission of God. Live for Jesus Christ. Amen. Love people. Love God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in God's mission because we have one life. It will soon be passed. Come on, everybody. Snap your fingers if you can. It's gone. In the light of eternity, your entire 80 years is just a snap of a finger. And in this one life, what is done for Christ, the Bible says, will last. What is the summing up? We've just heard about these six different foundations. I want to sum up this series, the last three months. What is it that we have learned about in this? Firstly, the summing up of the foundations. Firstly, we all have sinned and are restored back to righteousness because of Jesus' death on the cross when we received him as king in our lives. That is the first foundation, repentance from dead works. Secondly, we are all called to walk in this new restored faith and relationship with God as King and our Father. This is the second foundation, faith towards God. Let's believe in Him as our King. The third foundation, be baptized in water as a public sign that you have died to your old man. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You have died to the old man and his will and choice choose to live as a citizen of the kingdom and receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the citizenship of heaven and as an empowerment to serve the mission of the kingdom here on earth. That's the third foundation. Amen? Righteousness, faith, and baptism. The fourth foundation is saying, come to godly order to the ecclesia, the church, in life, and ministry based on your call do what God has called you to do it's a gift of God that God has given you serve with that gift and serve the mission of God with the empowerment and the impartation of the Lord on your life that's foundation number four laying on of hands godly order the fifth foundation live knowing that we will all once die and the Lord will resurrect us in a transformed body in due time and we will live forever and ever and ever as and he as our king in eternity. That's the resurrection from the dead. 
the sixth foundation. We are all going to be judged for all the deeds done in the flesh. Deeds includes your walk and your work. Because we are servants of the kingdom. We're going to be judged for all the deeds done in the flesh. After we have received Christ and our allegiance to Christ. And this judgment will have rewards. A crown, responsibilities and it will be for eternity. This is the sixth foundation. These are six foundations. Righteousness, faith, baptisms, godly order, resurrection of the dead. And there's going to be an eternal judgment. And Paul is saying, in the view of these foundations, now let us move on to maturity. With this as the basis of our Christian faith, he says, now let us walk in love and grow to the stature of Jesus Christ. With this foundation, knowing these foundations and living with this foundation truth in sight, let us move on to maturity. People of God, I want to close by reading something out written by an unnamed missionary who died as a, who was a young African pastor who died as a missionary and after his death in his Bible, they found a paper written by him after he was killed for the Lord. And he wrote like this, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Christ. And I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away. I won't be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, with sight walking, with small planning, with smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talk, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity for my sake. I don't have to be right, or I don't have to be first. I don't have to be on the top, or recognized, or praised, or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on His presence, Walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by the power of the Holy Spirit. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow. My way rough. My companions few. But my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, Deceived or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Or hesitate in the presence of the enemy. I will not negotiate at the table of the devil. Ponder at the pool of popularity. Or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. I won't shut up or let up. Until I have stayed up. Stored up. Prayed up. Paid up. And preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop. Preach until all know. And work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. For my colors will be clear. 
Amen. Amen. Look at somebody and say, my colors will be clear. Every eye closed in the presence of God. Beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed The Lord has laid the foundations out for us. One life we're going to live for Him. Sing it with me as we sing. Jesus, name above all names. Beautiful Savior, glorious Sing together with me. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. He has risen from the dead, and He's my Lord. Every Say, if you want to pray with me right now, you can just go ahead and say, Lord, I want to renew my decision. That not that you are my savior alone, that you are my Lord. You have, you have kingship over me. You have every right, every will, every decision, everything. I've come to the end of 2018, oh Lord. And maybe I've lived so many years just like I wanted. Maybe I partially obeyed. Maybe I was a, a part-time disciple. Maybe I was a Maybe I was a convenient Christian. Maybe I was a, a, a comfortable person that just said, Lord, I, I want to live how I want. But your word says that now that I'm saved, every deed is going to be brought to the light. Everything done for God, everything done for the kingdom, every choice made, every life lived, everything. Father, we want to live it for you. And so today, we are asking you not only to be our savior from sin, we are asking you today to be our Lord. As we are entering very soon into a new year, we're asking you to be our Lord in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said aloud, amen. 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 And we will go with confidence into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Let's continue to worship the Lord with this song.